0: We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi And now, Mike Hickson If someone were to ask me, what do you think would be necessary to get our nation back on track, I would say, back to the Bible. We live in a day and time in which a lot, a lot of people in our world have turned a deaf ear to God's Word. Many people in our society, a lot of people in America, no longer believe in the ideals of Scripture. One of the real problems we have in our nation is that we have in many, many ways turned a deaf ear to what God says. So there are a lot of problems in our nation today that could be corrected if we would simply have the wisdom and foresight to go back to the Bible. I want us to look at the book of Jeremiah for a moment. I want you to consider with me, if you would, several different passages as we look at the nation of Israel Some of the problems that they encountered, some of the problems that were very real, and the remedy that was given to them. One of the things that you need to understand at the outset of our lesson today is the nation of Israel operated as a theocracy. God ultimately was the king of Israel. Sadly, they rejected Him as king, and so they wanted an earthly king. And you can go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 8. Their desire to have a king was that they might be like all the nations around them. Sadly, that didn't work out very well. And there are some earmarks along the way that help us to see why Israel faced any number of problems. In about 722 B.C., God exiled the northern kingdom. That exile took place as a result of the work of the Assyrians. A little over a hundred years later, the southern kingdom of Judah, they too would go into captivity. They would be deported to Babylon, and there were three waves of captivity. They would spend 70 years in captivity, and ultimately they would come out of captivity because God needed a remnant through whom the Christ would ultimately come. So in light of all of this, I want you to think with me for a moment or two, first of all, about the forgetfulness of the nation. One of the real problems Israel had in days gone by was the fact that they forgot God. And sometimes we, as human beings, we forget God. We forget about the blessings of God, and they forgot about the blessings that they enjoyed from God. So there are two things I want to share with you. First, their blessings, and then secondly, their behavior, because the two are interlinked. I want to begin by, as we think about the forgetfulness of the nation, I want you to see that they forgot first and foremost the source of their blessings. Not only did they forget the source of their blessings, but they forgot about the scope of their blessings. God had abundantly blessed them. You remember Jeremiah in chapter 2 raises this question in verse 5. What injustice have your fathers found in me? that they've gone far from me and have followed idols and have become idolaters. Neither did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and a land where no one dwelt? He said, I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness, But when you entered, he said, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. Sadly, sometimes as Christians, we forget about the great blessings that we enjoy in Christ. You know, the Bible talks about how we have been married to Christ in Romans chapter 7, verse 4. And God, through His great grace, His tremendous love, has made it possible for us to enjoy a relationship with Him. We as the children of God have been forgiven of all of our sins. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Not only are we forgiven people, but we have a tremendous future before us because Paul would say that we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Now, from a national perspective... It's very easy for us as a people to forget about the source of our blessings and the scope of our blessings. James said every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. I want to just very quickly read for you a couple of statements made by way of reminding us how as a nation in many, many respects we have forgotten the source of our blessings, and the scope of our blessings. If you go back in history and you look at the founding fathers of our nation, one of the interesting things is that not long after our founders came to this great country, studies have shown that there were universities that were founded in this great land that we call America. Did you know that 106... Of the first 108 colleges formed in America were formed by quote-unquote Christians and built upon Christian principles. Let Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Many of us are familiar with Harvard University. And Harvard has a very long and distinguished history in our country. I want to read for you the rules and precepts of Harvard, and this goes back several hundred years. Listen to this, and think about how far we have fallen as a nation. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well. The main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, John 17, 3, and therefore to lay Christ... In the bottom as the only foundation of sound knowledge and learning. And seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom, let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek it of him, Proverbs 2 and 3. And then listen to this. Everyone shall so exercise himself in reading the scriptures twice a day that he shall be ready to give such an account of his proficiency therein both in theoretical observations of the language and logic and in practical and spiritual truths, as his tutor shall require, according to his ability. Seeing the entrance of the word giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple, Psalm 119, 130. I would challenge the president of Harvard today to echo these statements. We could stand here till Jesus comes, and you and I well know that'll never happen unless something great changes in the mindset of that institution. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of this country, a diplomat, secretary of state, a U.S. senator, and a representative. Here's what he had to say. The hope of a Christian is inseparable from his faith. Whoever believes in the divine inspiration of the Holy Scriptures must hope that the religion of Jesus shall prevail throughout the earth. Could I ask you a question? When is the last time you heard the leader of our nation make a statement like that? Is it the case, is it not the case, that as a nation of people in many, many respects, we have forgotten the source of our blessings and the scope of our blessings? And we talk about the forgetfulness of the nation of Israel. Again, they were a theocracy. We are a republic, a democracy. And we have been blessed in many, many ways, and God has lavished upon us, innumerable blessings but the danger is sometimes we like ancient Israel of old we forget about the source of our blessings and the scope of our blessings so first I think about their blessings and then their behavior when people separate themselves abdicate as we would say the law of God from their lives when they sever that relationship ultimately lots of problems are going to ensue aren't they So you think about, here are the people of God. God had entered into a covenant relationship with them. He had blessed them in so many ways that that covenant was conditioned or predicated on their willingness to observe His commands. So in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, here's what Jeremiah said about the nation. He said, My people have committed two evils. He said, They have forsaken Me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn hewn themselves cisterns. Broken cisterns, he said, that hold no water. Now look at verse 32. First they forsook the Lord, and then they forgot the Lord. Look at verse 32. He said, Can a virgin, a maid, forget her ornaments, or a bride her attire? Those of you who are ladies that are present today, many of you are wearing jewelry. Many of you would never think of leaving your home without your jewelry on. It would be incredulous for you to leave the house without making sure that all your jewelry is in place. By the same token, those of you that are married, you well remember the wedding dress you wore, don't you? doesn't matter how long ago it was, you remember that day, you remember that beautiful dress. Well, Jeremiah is saying, look, he said, a virgin, a maid does not forget her ornaments, a bride does not forget her attire. He said, but my people have forgotten me days without number. So there is always the danger of forgetfulness. As a Christian, one of the safeguards is that we partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. Why? To remember the death of Jesus, don't we? You remember Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, the bread that was given, signifying the body given by Jesus in our place. And He said... As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he come again. So first, the forgetfulness of the nation. Then secondly, what about the faults of the nation? What were the charges brought against the nation of Israel? Well, a number of charges were brought against the nation by Jeremiah, a spokesman on behalf of God. And so in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 16, one of the real problems they had was idolatry. Look at verse 16, chapter 1. God said, I will utter my judgments against them. Why? Concerning all their wickedness. He said, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. Do you remember the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1? talked about the state of the Gentile world, the fact that they had sunken into, as we would say, the mire of sin. And he talked about in that day and time those who were inventors of evil things. One of the things that was characteristic of that nation of people, the Gentile people, I guess I should say, they were idolatrous. They worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. I said last week that when you look When you look at the world in which we live, there is ample evidence that there is a God. God has revealed Himself to the human family two ways. First, by creation. The second, by revelation. We know there is a God because of the world in which we live. Design demands a designer. The Hebrew writer said, Every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And then God has revealed His character, His will for us through the Holy Scriptures. The psalmist said, that through His precepts we get understanding. Therefore, we hate every false way. In verse 105 of Psalm 119, He said, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my pathway. So God's word has the ability to direct the lives. And so here were people that they knew about the one true and living God, and yet they abdicated the will of God, the word of God from their lives. As a result of that, they became idolatrous to the core. There's a second earmark. Of their apostasy. Over in chapter 4, look at chapter 4, verse 22. In chapter 4, verse 22, not only were the children of Israel idolatrous, but they were ingenious. In verse 22, he said, My people are foolish. They have not known me. He said, They are foolish or silly children. They have no understanding. And then listen to what he said, They are wise to do evil. You know, are some people in our world today, they have made an art out of a life of sin, haven't they? I referenced a moment ago, Romans chapter 1, where Paul talked about those who are inventors of evil things. There are people in our world today, if you were to ask them, is this right or is this wrong, is this truth or is this error, they would say, you know what, I don't know. They don't know what the law of God teaches, they don't know what the will of God is for their lives. But in terms of knowing evil, corruption, ungodliness, they're well-versed. They know a lot about sin, and they are well-schooled in the ways of the world. Note the continuation in verse 22. Not only are they ingenious, but they are ignorant. Somewhat of an oxymoron, isn't it? On the one hand, they're ingenious. On the other hand, they're ignorant. Listen to what he said. But to do good, they have no knowledge. Isn't it amazing, the foresight of Scripture? We talk about the wisdom and knowledge of God and the fact that God has given unto us His book. Let me ask this question. Why did God give us His Word? Why would God take the time over the course of about 1,500 years to reveal His will for the human family? One reason was to let us know that there was a Redeemer who was coming, that is, a Savior. Genesis chapter 3 records the fall of man. In verse 15, we have the promised seed from that time forth, the prophets of old were pointing to the coming of a Redeemer who had ultimately saved the human family from sin and unrighteousness. The New Testament is a confirmation that the Messiah who was promised has indeed come. That He was born in Bethlehem of Judea, as the prophet noted in Micah chapter 5. That Jesus of Nazareth was God's anointed. And Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And God has given us His Word so that we will know how to live, so that our lives might be blessed, so that we could enjoy a relationship with Him and ultimately go home to be with Him in heaven. Listen again to what Jeremiah said about these people. He said, They're wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. Isn't it the case that in many respects, we as a nation of people, and sadly, even in the church, we mirror the words of Hosea? In chapter 4, verse 6, when he said, My people, are destroyed for lack of knowledge and you ask the question how could people be bankrupt biblically speaking well let me tell you how you just leave this book closed there are people all across our country they have multiple copies of this book we call the bible don't we my question to many families across our nation and even in the church when is the last time this book has been opened at home when's the last time I can tell you there are a lot of homes all across our nation. There are a lot of homes in the church. This book does nothing more than collect dust. It's got a top layer of dust on it. When we say no to the truths of Almighty God, let me tell you what, we're headed for trouble. We're headed for trouble as a nation. We're headed for trouble in our homes. How many times do we say, as the home goes, so goes the nation? The same is true about the church. As the home goes, so goes the church. If we as parents are not instructing and teaching our children in the laws of God, that is, if we're not teaching them what the Bible says, we're losing ground, aren't we? Losing ground. What was it Paul said Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to teach, to instruct them in the ways of God. Here's what Solomon said, Train up a child in the way he should go. Well, what way? In God's ways. Our nation is floundering today because men and women think they know better than God. There are a lot of folks in the church, they have that same mindset. When people miss studying the Word of God on a daily basis, ultimately negative consequences are going to come forth. Now, turn over, if you would, to chapter 6. Let me give you another statement made about the children of Israel. Not only were they idolatrous and ingenious and ignorant, but they were insatiable. Look at verse 13. Jeremiah said, From the least of them, even to the greatest, everyone is given to what? To covetousness. Covetousness is idolatry, according to Ephesians chapter 5. How many people in our world today, if you were to ask them, What's life all about? They would say, You know what? It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about the the accumulation of material goods and money. It's all about the things of this world. Here's what Jesus said. In contradiction to the ways and thinking of the world, Jesus said, A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now, you talk to the average person on the streets, and they're going to tell you that we measure the man, we measure the family by how much money he has or how much money she has, that is, by their pocketbook, by their material possessions, their goods. We measure the person by how much power they've accumulated. And it can become insatiable. In other words, you can never get enough. The children of Israel could not get enough. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 5, In the long ago he said, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. What's he saying? He's saying, you'll never have enough. If you think once you reach a certain financial goal, you're going to be happy, you're going to be content, what Solomon is saying is it doesn't work that way. There are a lot of people in our world today, they have benchmarks they're trying to achieve. Nothing wrong with financial goals. Nothing wrong with being a prudent business person. But what happens sometimes is we focus so much on the material, we lose sight of the spiritual. Paul talked about those who look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. He said the things which are seen are temporal. They're temporary. They're passing away. But he said the things which are not seen are eternal. So, a lot of problems. Now look at verse 15, another characteristic. They were insensitive. Look at verse 15. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Listen to His response. No. That's a very strong no here. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination, when they abdicated the will of God, the Word of God in, the, in their lives? The answer was no. Now listen to what He said. No, and they did not know how to blush. Could I ask you as members of the church, have we seen and heard so much without a filter that we're no longer shocked, that we no longer blush at indecency, shameful living, ungodly living? Is it possible that we have so filled our minds with what the world says and what television offers and what the media says that we no longer even blush when certain words are said. I was doing some research this past week, and I noted that there was a movie that came out within, I think, the last five years in this country. And they said in this movie, one particular profane word was used 569 times, I believe. This word was used over three times every minute in a movie. And how many people walked out of that theater and said, you know what, that was a great movie. Here's what's really sad. How many Christians walked out of that movie and said, boy, that was entertaining. Have we become so desensitized to wrongdoing, to shameful living, that we, like Israel of old, no longer blush? We've just seen it all. We've heard it all. We're immune to it. There are things that go on in our society today. There are habits that people are involved in. There are lifestyles that people are engaged in. We would never, in our wildest dreams, think about inviting them into our living room to do and to say what they do on television or in the movies. But you know what? We invite them into our homes every day via television, don't we? Third thing, very quickly, the fate of the nation. God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10, I've He said, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build and to plant. God was pleading with the nation of Israel to come back. He said, what you need to understand, you're about to go into captivity. Sadly, there were false prophets in that day that were saying, no, we will not. They were saying, peace, peace, and here's what God said. They were saying, peace, but there is no peace. He said, you're going into captivity. So God extends to them an invitation. Listen to him in verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is. And he said, Walk in it. And he said, Then you'll find rest for your souls. What was God saying? God was saying through the prophet Jeremiah, Back to the Bible. What he was saying in effect was, Back to the Bible is the only way. I can tell you right now, I can assure you the only remedy for a world lost in sin is back to the Bible. The only remedy for people in the church, outside the church, is back to the Bible, isn't it? It's the only way. You think about the pluralism of our day and time. You think about how in our society today that we have been told over and over and over again there's no such thing as absolute truth. And there are those that say you need to be more tolerant, but they are intolerant to our way of thinking, aren't they? The very people that are saying we ought to be more tolerant, they're intolerant of us. Back to the Bible is the only way. And let me tell you what, Jesus is the only way. It's not Muhammad. It is not the teaching of Islam. It is not the teaching of Buddha. It is not the teaching of some foreign religion. It is Jesus. Here's what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That is exclusive, isn't it? Back to the Bible, that is the only way, and secondly, it is the orderly, orderly way. Back to the Bible is not only the only way, it is the orderly way. Look at our world today, look at the confusion that exists in our country today. You think about the moral confusion of our day and time. We've got people in our world today that are living so contrary to God's ways moral confusion, moral mayhem, we've got people in our nation today that are out of control and we wonder, why do we have order and harmony in our homes and in our nation, in our world? Let me tell you why, because we're not following the Bible. When you choose not to live according to the Bible, guess what? You're going to reap a bad, bad harvest. You remember what Paul said, be not deceived, evil companionship corrupts what? Good morals. You think about the people today that are medicating themselves every day with alcohol. Think about the number of people today that are are hooked on prescription drugs. They're trying to self-medicate. And then how many people are using some type of chemical substance because they think that's where life is, that's where happiness is. I promise you, happiness, contentment, joy, and satisfaction is not in the bottom of a bottle. It is not an appeal. It is not in a syringe. Never has been, never will be. And then you look at people in our world today that have made a mockery of marriage. Their lives are confused and they wonder, why are we having all these problems? I can tell you why we're having problems, because we're not following the Word of God. When we say no to the will of God every single time, it produces trouble. So there is this invitation to the Lord. Listen to what he said. Stand in the way and see and ask for the old path. wherein is the good way and walk therein. And then listen to this. He said, you'll find rest for your souls. There are people in our world that will end their life today because they are not at rest. They're unhappy. They're discontented. They're looking at life through the lens of the world. And they see no end in sight. And they wonder, how could I ever be happy? Well, what Jeremiah is saying is, look, if you'll follow God's way back to the Bible, if you'll go back to the Bible, you'll find rest. It's there. The devil does not want us to find rest. The devil wants us to live in confusion. He wants our lives to be a mess. He wants us to be upside down and asking the question, is there anything better, is there anything more? And the answer from a worldly standpoint is absolutely not. So there's this invitation, but note, if you would, the repudiation. Jeremiah said, stand in the ways and see and ask for the oil paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. And he said, you'll find rest for your souls. But they said, listen to him, but they said, we will not walk in it. You know what they said no to? Or do you know whom they said no to? They said no to God, didn't they? They closed the door to God. You ever gone to somebody's door and knocked on that door? and had them slam the door in your face. Ever had that happen? Some of you know what I'm talking about. They didn't like what you were selling. They didn't like what you had to offer, so they slammed the door. Here was a nation of people that basically closed the door in God's face. They said, we're not not interested in what you're selling. We're not interested in what you're offering. They said no to the goodness of God and the graciousness of God. My prayer and plea to all of us today is that we'll see the importance of back to the Bible. You ever thought about the age in which we live? What a great time we're living in in America. I mean, you think about we're living in the rocket age, the jet age, and all the advancements and all the accomplishments, and yet, in many respects, we've gone backwards, haven't we? You know what the answer? The answer is back to the Bible. We talk about forward progress, well, forward progress spiritually, back to the Bible. Let's go back to the Bible. Let's call people to go back to the Bible. You want a better home life? Back to the Bible. You want a better individual life? Back to the Bible. That's the answer. It's the only answer. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson. Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Steadfast and sure while the billows roll fastened to the rock which cannot move